Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, we acknowledge this morning that we need you. We need you more than anything or anyone. Lord, help us not to forget that. Help us not to rely on others, rely on ourselves, Lord, and help us to see from your word this morning as we look to what you've given us in the book of Judges, Lord, I pray that it would be something that would allow us to truly come back to that place where we understand our need and our desire needs to be only for you and you alone. So this morning, I pray that you would guide us. I pray that your spirit would apply your word to our lives. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. All right, we're back in Judges. If you've been with us for, well, I guess just one week. We've started Judges last week, uh, and we're going to continue with the book of Judges. Uh, and hopefully you are with us for much, if not most, if not all, of our study of the book of Joshua. Uh, and that is a great backdrop to have as we continue now looking at the book of Judges. I uh, read the book of Judges this week, read the whole book again. I did it a couple weeks ago, but then again did it this week. And... Uh, we are in for quite a bumpy ride as we go through the book of Judges. There's lots of really hard things to talk about. Lots of really hard things to think about. And honestly, humbling things that hopefully will humble us to the point of what we just sang about. How desperately we need God over and above anything or anyone else. And this morning, in just a moment... We're going to look at a passage in Judges that is going to basically be the summary statement for how the rest of the book is going to go. There's going to be story after story after story, but in all of that, there's this umbrella theme, and it's going to be this downward spiral, as we talked about last week. That by They start well at the beginning of the book, by the end of the book, quite honestly, to be a reader, to see where Israel gets, by the end of the book of Judges, is quite alarming and depressing at times. But we are going to see today what the cycle looks like for Israel. But I don't want us to lose when we talk about historical things. This is historical work that we're reading here in Judges. Let's not forget that although it's historical and it's telling us actions and it's telling us events that happened It wouldn't be in our scripture today if it wasn't for it to have something to do with our lives today. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is as we look at Judges, we'll see this cycle that Israel goes through, this uh, cycle that's going to happen again and again and again through the book of Judges, and that maybe we can put ourselves in the shoes of Israel and see where it is God would have us to change and to live. Uh, Before we get into Judges, real quick, again, a little bit of review from last week in Joshua. I'm going to Really short here, but the book of Joshua, we see that God used Joshua to give Israel the promised land of Canaan. That's putting it as briefly as you can, the book of Joshua, that Joshua is used by God to bring Israel into the promised land of Canaan, and the land is given to the people. Joshua then, at the end of Joshua and at the beginning of Judges, Joshua died. Joshua died, the leader of Israel died, and Israel must now complete the conquest by driving out all the Canaanites. See, although Joshua got Israel to a point with God's strength, God took Israel to the point under Joshua's leadership that all the land of Canaan was under the control of the Israelites. But not all Canaanites, not all of those wicked evil people, which is an understanding we need to have of the Canaanites. It's not just some random group of people that God decided he didn't like, but these are wicked, evil people that have been worshiping other gods and doing things that we can't even really mention in public, and God says, drive them out. So in Joshua, we see that they have taken the land, they have control of it, but there are still people that are still remaining. And what Joshua says before he dies and what God has told Israel is very simple. Continue it. Get rid of all the evil out of this land or it will come back to bite you. 
that's not God's word, that's kind of my summary there. Uh, but that's exactly what's happening here. And now we get to the book of Judges, and last week we looked at Israel started off really well. They were courageous, just like Joshua was with the people of Israel in the book of Joshua. They were courageous in the sense that they were trusting God and seeking his wisdom and going forward to do what they were told to do. But then we saw in the first chapter of Judges and part of chapter 2 that we see this general slide as Israel starts well, but then starts having questions and second thoughts about can God really give us victory? It started by not taking victory over iron chariots, but it continued on as all the tribes of Israel left Canaanites in the land. They did things that they thought would be good enough. They enslaved them and said, well, surely God will be happy with us. We've taken these evil people and now they are our slaves. We looked at last week that basically what Israel did, they started off in courage, but they quickly gave in to compromise. They quickly gave in to compromise because of selfish convenience. And they began to compromise everything that God had told them to do. And when I use the word compromise, I don't use it in the good sense of the word. Like we're having a fight and we need to have a compromise. That can be a good thing. But compromise in this sense, when we look at Israel in the book of Judges, is to say this is what we should be doing, this is what is right, but we're going to make compromises so that we don't go fully the way that we should and we can hold back. And that's what we see Israel do through the book of Judges. And so we looked at that, Judges chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2. Now, in just a moment, now as I said, starting in chapter 2, verse 6, we're going to see this cycle that starts happening in the people of Israel. The book is going to have this cycle. Uh, Israel's compromise spirals downwards in a repeating cycle. Israel's compromise spirals downward into a repeating cycle. In other words, we're going to see, as I said last week, the beginning of the book looks great. They're doing the right thing. End of the book, it's about as bad as it possibly can get. Actually, we'll get to this as we go through the book, but by the end of the book, Israel is seen as a nation that is just as bad, if not worse, than the Canaanites around them. And that's how bad it goes. That's the spiral that goes down all the way as we go down the book. But there is this cycle that we're going to see time and time again that there's going to be a cycle for a couple chapters, then it'll start again and the cycle will go through again and we're going to see a total of probably five or six different cycles of this and it seems to be this is the way Israel is going to respond to God throughout the book of Judges and they will be judged for it because of what they've done. So we're going to look at that today. And as I think about that idea of a cycle, uh, I, you know, I hate, now this is, this is going to, I'm telling you something about myself, I hate the carousel. I hate the merry-go-round, okay? So um, some of you might love getting on the horse, going round and round. When I get on a carousel, by the time I'm around about the third time, I'm about ready to, uh, well, let's just say, lose whatever's in my stomach, all right? I'm at that point. I'm ready, and, you know, my kids are like, woo! this is great, I'm on a horse, and, I, and I'm like, okay, guys, it's about time to end. Listen, riding the carousel, it goes round and round and round, and the part, of it, the part of it is, is it's like you always see the same thing, right? You're going around, and you're looking, I'm trying to find a fixed point, you know, because that's what you're supposed to do so you don't get sick, and I, so every time I'm seeing the same thing over and over again, and honestly, for me, not only does it not make me feel well, but it also is kind of boring, you know? It's just like, all right, there's nothing happening here. I'm just seeing the same thing over and over again. Well, as I thought about that, I thought about this idea of a cycle that goes, the cycle of compromise, or what I called it today, the carousel of compromise. Going around and around, doing the same thing over and over again, and honestly, just like it makes me sick physically, we're going to see that Israel is going to have the same carousel feeling as they go around and around and around, and it never gets better, it only gets worse. And actually thinking about that, because that's even not a great illustration for what happens to Israel. Because as I said, it's not just that they go around and around, but they actually go downwards as well. I was down in Disney World uh, last year, and uh, Mariah really wanted to ride this coaster. It was called the Wild Mouse, some kind of coaster. I don't know exactly what it was. And uh, we got right in line, and it had just finished raining. And so we got right in line. We were able to get right in. We didn't have to wait in a line. We were really excited. The problem with that was that when we got on, I hadn't had time to watch the ride. I hadn't seen what this ride does. And as we get on the ride, we start, we get in this little car, and we go up a hill, and, you know, we're doing normal things like a little roller coaster would be. And I'm thinking, okay, this is fine, this is good. 
Then all of a sudden, to my terror, something happened that I was not prepared for, and that is that we start going down a hill about halfway in the, into the ride, and all of a sudden the car we're in starts spinning around. Now this is supposed to happen. This isn't like it was broken. Okay, this is, this was the plan of the ride. So now we're going downhill while we're spinning. And I'm like, that actually is a great illustration of what's happening to Israel. And I don't want to miss the importance and the seriousness of what we're going to look at today. But, you know, hopefully if you think about that ride, you think about how I am spinning downhill and about to lose my lunch. When you think about that, I hope you think about what we're looking at happening in Judges. That's exactly what's going on. Israel is going round and round. All at the same time, they're still going down. It's not like they get better and worse and better and worse. No, it's they get worse and worser and worser, and I know worser isn't a word. I know. You don't need to tell me. It gets worse and worse and worse until it gets worsest. <laughs> All right, anyway. Let's get to what we have for this, this, this morning. And that's just a silly illustration. But like I said, what's, what's here for the rest of us to look at is very serious, and I want us to think about how we fit into this whole thing. If Israel has this spiraling downward cycle that eventually leads to their ultimate destruction, for lack of a better way uh, of saying it, the people still exist, but they're not nothing the way they were supposed to be. They didn't have their own land. They were in exile, and all those things are yet to come. But we see that this downward spiral is just going to destroy them. It's going to draw them away from God. And hopefully we won't be victims of the same cycle but I think sometimes we are. So let's just start. Uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. We're going to read that section. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his own inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation who were gathered, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose a generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. We're going to stop right there. Now, I read those verses. You guys, if you've been here for a little while, you'll understand that basically we've already read this passage in the end of Joshua. It's almost identical to the very last part of Joshua. And and what is going on here, and I I know this gets a little confusing because you're like, wait a minute, I thought Joshua died at the beginning of chapter 1. Now he's dying at the beginning of chapter 2. That doesn't really make sense. Well, you got to understand ancient literature doesn't always follow chronology. It doesn't always follow point by point by point. There are some things, what's happening here is very simple, and that is that the writer of Judges is going back again to why Israel is where it's at. Because remember in chapter 1 we saw how they went downhill so fast after Joshua died. Now the writer of Judges is taking some time to say, okay, you want to see why this is happening. You want to see why in chapter 2, 1 through 5, the angel of the Lord comes and curses and, and judges the people of Israel. Well, let's go back. It's kind of like a flashback. This is why Israel is going to have the judgment of God upon them. And so the writer goes back to tell us again of how it all started all the way back when Joshua and that generation died. And so the first thing in the cycle, uh, the, and you may have heard this called the cycle of apostasy. That's what many people will call it. Uh, uh, you know, in, in, I think apostasy is a word that is really, it's leaving, it's abandoning God. And I think that's a true statement. But I think it even starts before apostasy starts, before completely throwing God away, compromise is always there. So as we look at this carousel of compromise, we think about where the first stage is in this carousel. And the first part of this cycle is that Israel is forgetful of the Lord, verses 6 through 10. We see that Joshua and other godly leaders die. We see that the eyewitnesses of God's work die. So not only do the leaders of Israel die, but also the eyewitnesses, all the generation that watched as God gave them the ability to cross over the Jordan River, to walk around Jericho and to see the walls fall, to see the problem they had with sin and Ai, and then to see the destruction of Ai. 
to see how all the land was taken, even though Israel had no business winning, God gave them victory. And there were eyewitnesses, there was a generation that experienced this. They were the ones that were in the battle, they were the ones hearing about the battles, they were the ones that were there. And then all of a sudden what we're told is that not only does Joshua and the leadership die, but now the eyewitnesses, all those who had seen God's work, are no longer around. They experienced it personally, and so it was always fresh on their mind. But what we see is the next generation no longer is that true. We see that Israel loses focus on God and on his works. That's what we see here in this passage. It says here in the last verse, in chapter, in verse 10, and all that generation also were gathered to the fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. I think the cycle of apostasy or the carousel of compromise starts when we forget God, when we forget his works. Many people will start this cycle with the next stage that we'll talk about in a moment. But I believe even before we get to the, sec- the second stage, there's this other stage that happens in the life of Israel and that happens in our lives as well. That people forget God. Now, as I say that, you think, wait a minute, forget. How could the people, how could this generation have forgotten? They're the kids of the people who watched it happen. There, and so is it the fault of the, the parents? Well, maybe that's part of it. What exactly happened here? How do the people actually not even know what's happening? I would say to you that this word forget here doesn't always mean mentally forget. It means not to fully uh, commit to. It's to not fully understand. You see, actually, the word here where it says a generation uh, grew up after them who did not know the Lord. That word for know is not the knowledge word of your mind, but it's actually the word know that was used when Adam knew his wife. Intimacy. The idea here is that Israel has no more intimacy, no more connection, no more relationship with God. Because they've looked at his works, they no doubt have heard stories about crossing the Jordan and Jericho and Ai and all those others. They would know that in their mind, but they don't know it in their heart. It hasn't made a difference. They're now, they're no longer moved by God and they're no longer moved by what God has done, but it's simply just something that is a uh, physical remembrance. But they have forgotten that God was the one who is in charge. They've forgotten all the mercy and grace and victory that God has given. So when we say forgetful, I want to be careful not to say this isn't about them forgetting with their minds. They probably still remembered all the facts. They probably still remembered all the stories. But it didn't change them. It didn't give them a difference in the way they lived. They weren't moved by what God had done. And so Israel forgets the Lord and that's where the carousel starts. The next stage of this cycle or carousel is that Israel becomes unfaithful to the Lord. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And I got ahead of myself by a verse. But what we see happen here is right after Israel forgets, they don't have a relationship with God anymore, now all of a sudden it goes jumps right to this. And the people of Israel did what was evil. Israel does what is evil. This is not just questionable. This is evil. What is the evil that Israel does? Where we're told that they, first of all, abandon God. Israel abandons God. And as Israel abandons God, they do what is evil. They are going against him and serving other gods, and they have turned their back on God. That is what evil is all about. Evil isn't even just about actions. Evil is about the posture that we have towards God. Evil is turning our back on him completely. And that's what we see Israel doing. They begin to do evil as they abandon God. And as they abandon God, it's not like they abandon him to become atheists. But Israel starts worshiping other gods. And they start believing in other gods and worshiping and serving other gods. We see that in this passage. 
the Baals and the Ashtaroths. These are gods that are the god of fertility is the Ashtaroth that they're talking about. There's this, so we know there's actions that are going along with this. They are worshiping false gods in sinful ways. And Israel just removed one generation from Joshua and all those who led them to victory in Canaan now are serving other gods, partially because, by the way, they left the people in the land, going back to chapter 1. They compromised just a little bit by leaving the people in the land to be their servants, to be their slaves. And now, some, and I heard this this week, and I thought it was a great way to put it, now the people that are their slaves have now brought slavery upon Israel because they're enslaved to false gods. And so by that little compromise that seems so small to a human mind, by leaving people behind, now we see gods are being worshipped of the people around them. I want to skip down to verse 17. Uh, verse 17, and I want to read this, and this is just to give us how it's serious this is to God. When I talk about Israel being unfaithful to the Lord, this is what God says in verse 17. Yet they did not listen to their judges, and we'll talk about that in a moment. For they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. This is strong wording. I don't use that word lightly, but the Bible says exactly what it is when we are unfaithful, when Israel is unfaithful to God, and that is that they have whored themselves to other gods. They have become prostitutes. Isaiah 121 and the whole book of Hosea in the Old Testament compare Israel's idolatry to prostitution as well. This is a big deal to God. This isn't just, oh yeah, they just decided to follow some other gods, but God's still there, so it's not a big deal. No, God looks at it as spiritual adultery, as prostitution. That's how serious it is to God. And I heard this definition of how, that why this would even be. And you think about what a prostitute is, and, and, and I don't have to go into detail, but what we see here is that is Israel, God's people, who are supposed to be married to God himself, are now giving themselves over to other people. But it's not just an act of adultery, but prostitution even goes one other step. See, a prostitute gets used and abused and then left behind, and that's what's going to happen to Israel. They're going to be used and abused by these false gods and then they're going to be left behind because those aren't real gods. And Israel is giving themselves over to these false gods and God says it's prostitution. That's how serious it is. And yet Israel does it over and over and over again. I would encourage you to read Hosea. It's an interesting read to show just the depth of the unfaithfulness of Israel but also the faithfulness of God which we'll get to in just a moment. So the first stage, Israel forgets the Lord. They, they throw away their relationship. The second stage is they are unfaithful to the Lord. And now the third stage, the Lord judges Israel. We already started reading that in verse 14, but we'll go back and read that again. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. God is angry over Israel's unfaithfulness. Pause and remember Joshua 24 as Joshua is giving his final address to the people of Israel. And he tells them that they're not going to be able to follow God completely because God is holy. He's set apart from all other gods and he is jealous. We see God's jealousy on display here. In a, in a good, perfect way, God is jealous. His people are running away from him, giving themselves to false gods. And God's jealousy is sparked, and he is angry over their unfaithfulness, and he has every right to be. But then not only that, we see that God gives Israel over to their enemies. There's no way around this. This isn't just that God said, okay, you know what, you guys don't want anything to do with me, then I'm just not going to have anything to do with you. you. You deal with yourself. God's not passive-aggressive here. He's, uh, uh, he is going straight at it here, and he is the one who gives, over, gives Israel over to their enemies. That's what it says. It says, he gave them over to plunderers. He is the agent that is saying, Israel, you're going, you're making me angry because of your unfaithfulness. I'm going to put you in this position so that you will have to come back to me. And so he gives them to plunderers. Then it goes on and says, when they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. Israel, or God becomes like an enemy to Israel. Their unfaithfulness is no small thing. And God says, I'm going to 
actively pursue you in a way that's not comfortable, but in a way that needs to be done, and he, he gives them over to their enemies, and he even himself becomes like an enemy in the sense that he sets himself against his own people because of their unfaithfulness. The next stage, after they forget, then they're unfaithful, and then the Lord judges them and sends uh, nations to judge them. The next stage is that Israel becomes distressed. Verses 15, uh, we just read that. It said, and they were in terrible distress. Later on, we see in verse 18, the same idea. Verse 18, uh, the second part says, For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. So we see that as God is angry, they've been plundered, but then we see Israel becomes distressed. Israel is plundered, they're afflicted, they're oppressed. We've used all those words. This is not a good thing for Israel. They are in a bad place. They are in distress. Whereas when God was with them in the, in the land of Canaan through Joshua, when we see that happening, we see that God is giving them great victory and great hope, and now they have the exact opposite. They have distress. They have no hope. We see that Israel is so bad off that the Bible tells us that they were groaning. They were groaning in pain. They were groaning in their experience. And then one thing we don't see in this passage, but we will see time and time again throughout the book of Judges, is at this point in the cycle, we see Israel calls out to the Lord for help. It's not seen here in chapter 2. But if you want to write these references down, you'll see this happening in chapter 3, verse 9. You'll see it happen in chapter 3, verse 15. You'll see it in chapter 4, verse 3. You'll see it in chapter 6, verse 7. And you'll see it in chapter 10, verse 10. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 verses that tell us that when they get to this point, when Israel gets to the point of distress, they call out to the Lord. In other words, when times get tough, Israel all of a sudden decides, oh wait, there's this God that we're supposed to be serving. Let's call out to him for help. It's a last desperate effort, and that's what we see happen time and time again throughout Judges. So the fourth stage of the cycle of apostasy, or the carousel of compromise, after they've forgotten God, they're unfaithful to God, God judges them, and now they become distressed. We stop right here, and this is this is just not a good way to walk away from a service. We stop right here and we could walk away saying, oh, people left God and God judged them. We could be depressed. There could be no hope. Hope is gone. But we know God is not a God of ultimate punishment here, but he wants to give people hope. So even in the midst of all of this, we see the next stage, stage five, the Lord delivers Israel. Chapter 2, 16 and 18. The Lord delivers Israel. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. And then in verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of, who, because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Now, God is moved to pity. We'll get to that in a moment. But we see God is one who is a deliverer. God wants to deliver Israel, even in the fact that they have been completely unfaithful. He judges them, and then when they get distressed to the point where they're calling out to him, he could have just been a God that said, you know what, too little, too late, goodbye. But God does not do that. God delivers them. God provides judges to bring salvation from their enemies. That's what we're told. The book of Judges, the name Judges, is named after judges. The judges of this book. And what a judge is, is somebody that God put over Israel, not only to judge over the affairs of Israel, but even more importantly, to deliver Israel from its enemies. That's what a judge is. It's the precursor to a king. A judge is someone who is overseeing, if not the whole nation, at least a portion of the nation, as they go forward and give them victory over their enemies. And so we see God provides judges to bring salvation from enemies. But not only does God provide the judge himself, the judge or herself, the judge that comes, God does not just provide that judge, but God also empowers the judge to bring salvation. If we see here in verse 18, this is where we see this. It says, um, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. And he saved them from the hand of their enemies. It's not about the men. 
It's not about Deborah. It's not about the people. It's about God. Just like Joshua wasn't about Joshua, but it was about God. The same is true of judges. God is the one who raises up the judge. God is the one who empowers and gives the, ju- gives the judge the ability to be able to uh, give freedom, to give victory over the enemies. But it's all about God. And why do we see he does this? Well, we're told God does this out of his compassion or his pity for his people. Now, this is so crazy to think about. This is what we don't understand about God. God can be a God that is angry and and just and can pour down wrath. But at the same exact time, our God is a God who is full of grace and mercy and hope. And that's what we see through the book of Judges is even when Israel has completely abandoned him, he does not abandon his people. And grace is given. God shows unbelievable grace that is completely undeserved. And yet God showers that on his people because of his great compassion. He is the one who has given them over to be plundered, but then also has pity on them because they're plundered. God can do all of this because he's God, he's holy, he's separate from all other people, all everything else. And God delivers Israel out of compassion. And so that's, so far, five stages of the carousel of compromise. Five stages of the cycle of apostasy. They are forgetful of the Lord. They are unfaithful to the Lord. The Lord judges them. Uh, Israel then becomes distressed. The Lord then delivers them. And now you're saying, great. So it went from after stage four, if we ended the sermon here, that would be really depressing. But now if we end here at stage five, everything is great. Like hope, grace, mercy. Yes, let's go. Let's be happy. Let's enjoy this. But the cycle isn't a cycle unless it goes back around to the beginning. Just like in the carousel, if I start seeing different landmarks, then that means there's something wrong. And so we get back around the carousel and we're back to the same point. And instead of it ending, it repeats. Stage six is the cycle repeats. Verses 17 and 19. So in 18, we're told that God raised up judges. In verse 17, and they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turn aside from the way which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Verse 19, but whenever the judge died, after God had provided the judge, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. And they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So now we go from a high to another low. God gives great mercy. God gives incredible grace. But the cycle repeats, and Israel goes back to the beginning. You see, Israel didn't listen to their judges, the judges who would come and remind them that God is the one who is freeing you. God is the one you need to worship. They don't listen. They don't submit. The leaders that God put over Israel, they say, you know what, never mind, we're not going to listen to you. And that leads to the next part, which is they forget. They don't listen to the judges. They don't remember what the judges said. So the judges died, as we're told in this passage, and Israel forgets. If you look ahead to the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 7. In chapter 3, verse 7, we're going to see the first judge, the first time this cycle goes through, and how this cycle works. And Othniel will be the first judge in this cycle. But in chapter 7, when Othniel, when he has to be called, this is what we're told. It says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, which we knew would happen. But then it says why. It says, They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. You see, the reason they did evil was because, again, they forgot. And I believe that's even why here in chapter 2 it tells us when the judge died, they went back. Because the understanding there is that the judge is no longer the reminder of who God is. He's no longer there to remind them of what God has done. And they forget again, and then they end up being unfaithful again. And unfaithfulness takes hold even worse than before. Even worse than before, we're told, they don't give up anything and they only get worse. After watching all of this happen... After they watch what happens as they are unfaithful and God judges them and they are distressed and they call out and God answers them. They call out and God answers them in his grace and his mercy and then what do they do as soon as they get the chance? They forget all about it again and they walk away and abandon the Lord yet again. 
And the cycle goes again. They forget. They're unfaithful. And then God sends another. Then God judges them with a nation. And then they become distressed. And then the Lord delivers them. And then they start the cycle all over again. And we see this happen multiple times in the book of Judges. And it just gets worse and worse and worse as the book goes on. So what does that mean for us? How does all this... Okay, looking at Israel. Well, I would say this. I know I can say this for myself, and I believe I can say this for most, if not all of us in this room. We're not that different from Israel. Now, we might not be worshiping false idols at our house. You know, we might not be giving ourselves over to all the the worldly ways. But I believe there's times that we forget God, we forget who he is, we forget to know him, that we are unfaithful to him by following other things that are, not, that are just cheap imitations of what he offers. That there's times in our life where God has to come and judge us and we get distressed and then we call out to him because, oh, life isn't going well, now I'll call out to God. How many times have we been in that place? I know I have. Things get tough, all of a sudden I'm praying more than I've ever prayed before. Maybe it's been months since I've prayed, but because something is going really, really bad, then I have to call out upon him. How many times have we done that? And then God will deliver us in the sense of he'll answer our prayers, he'll be good to us, he'll show us mercy, he'll show us grace, and then we no sooner forget. And we can spiral as well. But we have something, we have someone that Israel didn't have yet at this point. And that is Jesus, Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so some conclusion questions this morning. As we think about the cycle of apostasy, the carousel of compromise, are we people who compromise and follow other gods or walk away from God? Well, I want to ask this question first and foremost is, have we forgotten God and what he has done through Jesus? Have we forgotten God and what he has done through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul knows one thing that he needs to do as he talks to the Corinthian church. He wants to make sure he gets this across. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 11. This is what Paul writes. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preach to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and he was buried, and then he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Then he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. For I am the last of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then I, it was I or they, we preach, and so you believed. What's the point of chapter 15, verses 1 through 11? Paul reminds the Corinthian church of the gospel. He starts right off and says, Now I would remind you, don't forget the gospel. Remember the gospel is the first point that I would say this morning that we need to do. So there's some in this room that maybe have never heard the gospel or maybe have heard it but never truly embraced it or accepted it it's right here in chapter 15 of first corinthians jesus christ who was born of a virgin lived a perfect life died on the cross so that he would pay for our sins the times we've walked away from god and turned our back on him he's died for our sins so that we don't have to spend forever in hell and in forever away from him but we can have a relationship with god again jesus dies and takes the punishment for our sin then as as chapter 15 here in first corinthians uh tells us then he rose again three days later the bible tells us that jesus not only died for our sins but rose again to show his power over sin and death and that by coming to him in faith And receiving the grace, as we're told here, the grace that he has given, that undeserved gift of Jesus, that we didn't do anything to deserve, we can't do enough good works to get it, but Jesus died for us freely if we'll just come to him in faith and receive the grace that he has given. 
to say to him, I no longer want to live for myself, but I want to live for you because of this great grace that you are showing me. So maybe you haven't done that and you need to do that today. Don't wait any longer. Accept the grace that God has put right before you. Reach out and grab it. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. And you will have a forever life with God. That is the truth of the gospel. And we don't just stop there to say if, you, if you've never heard it or you haven't accepted it. But even if you've already accepted the gospel, Israel got themselves in trouble because they forgot. It didn't move them anymore. The, the work of God didn't matter anymore. They knew about it, but that was where it stopped. They knew in their mind, but it didn't make a difference in how they lived. Some of you, many times, have asked me why every time we come together and every time I preach, at the end, we talk about the gospel. But it's for this very reason, because I know there might not be anybody in this room. Maybe there isn't. Maybe everyone in this room has accepted the Lord as their Savior and knows the gospel. But we cannot afford to forget it. We cannot afford to forget the gospel, what Jesus has done for us and who Jesus is. We can't afford to forget that in the way we live and in the way we feel and the way that we look at life. And yet so many of us do, and I've been there. Just going through the motions of life and forgetting the great mercy and grace that has been shown to me through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't forget it in 1 Corinthians 15. He remembered and he reminded others. He was reminded constantly that he is, he was not deserving of anything that God gave him because of all the sin he had committed and yet he knew that God's grace was with him. God's grace is with us each day and we can't afford to forget because if we forget that, if we can move away from our relationship with him, there's no telling where the spiral will go. So that's the first question this morning. Have we forgotten God and what he has done? And if we have, we need to really take some time to reflect upon his gospel, to reflect on the good news that he gave us, that he's still giving us, that his love and grace is being poured upon us. It was poured on us through Jesus and is continuing to be poured upon us. Let's remember that. Be moved by it. Allow it to change us. Then the second question, and this is an even more serious question, is this, is are we being unfaithful to the Lord? As I said, Israel, there was no question, right? They were going to other gods. They were worshiping idols, We'll look later on in the book, and they're doing some pretty bad stuff. But there's ways that we can be unfaithful to the Lord and turn our back on him and pursue something else. James talked about this in his book, in his book here, that as God inspires him to write in the New Testament, the book of James. Many of you will know this passage, but I just want to remind us that what happened to Israel is still happening in the New Testament era. And James has to address it. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, the first 10 verses. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you have wrong, asked wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. James, in this passage, is quite the downer, in a sense. Because he's saying, look, it is not. You need to make sure that you are not being adulterous. That's what he said in verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You can't have it both ways. You can't live in this world and love this world and love the pleasures and the enjoyment and everything that this world offers and love that more than God. Once you do that, you have committed idolatry and you've committed adultery. You've become, as Israel did, like a prostitute when you decide to say, God has given me all these things and yet I'm going to walk away from him. 
And I'm going to give something else more honor. I'm going to give something else more love. I'm going to serve something else, worship something else more than being with God and his people. When we do that, there is a problem. We are being unfaithful. And James says, you need to mourn and weep. You need to humble yourselves. That's what James says. But he doesn't end with just, woe is you, everything is terrible. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. The point is, God says, I want your humility. I want you to remember who I am and be humble. And, and give everything over to me and not hold anything back. That's what humility is all about. And, and so God says, be humble. Don't be prideful and hold things back. Don't desire evil things, but just be humble before me. And that's what the God asks. So I don't know. I can't tell each of you, and I could tell you the things for me, but I don't know what good that would do. But there are lots of things that in our lives can prove to become more important than God in our life. More important than our remembrance of Jesus. And things will come up. Maybe it's a thing, a possession. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's people. Maybe it's family. I don't know what it is. There are so many things in this world that can take our affections and take our attention away from Christ. And if there is something in your life that that is, you need to repent of that, call out to the Lord and ask for renewal and ask for humility and he will give it. That's what we're told in the book of James. I don't want to end on a, a sour note as we think about the unfaithfulness that we need to repent of. So I want to read one final verse. And this is, the, this is the thing. As we walk out of our service today, I want us to remember this one thing. That with all that we've talked about, with the cycle of apostasy, the carousel of compromise, all that we've talked about, God has given us the ultimate deliverer. You see, the reason this cycle didn't work was because God kept giving a judge, but men can't deliver God's people permanently. Only Jesus can deliver God's people permanently. The book of Colossians, as I read this, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us, talking about Jesus, well, talking about God. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The ultimate deliverance didn't come from a judge as he delivered Israel from their enemies. The ultimate deliverance comes from Jesus Christ as he gives us redemption and forgiveness of sins. And so when going back to remembering the gospel, we don't have to be depressed when we look at judges and think, well, God is going to destroy me if I continue on this cycle because we have the ultimate deliverer. Israel didn't have Jesus yet. They didn't have the ultimate deliverer. They had God's system and, and they rejected God completely. But we have the ultimate deliverer who has given his life for us so that we can be redeemed, so that we can be forgiven. And so today as we leave, don't leave on a sour note of thinking, man, this is just depressing to think about the cycle of apostasy and to think about about how bad things can get. Because yes, things can get really bad, but no matter how bad things get, we've got the ultimate good, which is Jesus Christ. That is what we can remember. And so yes, if you're forgetting what God has done, work harder and and ask him to give you more remembrance. If you're being unfaithful and you're giving your allegiance to something or someone else, then change your course. Ask him for help to do that. But ultimately, we have the ability to remember him and we have the ability to be faithful, not because we're strong enough, but because he is strong enough. He has died for us and given us all things we can ever ask for. That is the hope we can have. So yes, it can be depressing. Yes, it can be distressing. We can walk away and think there's no hope, but that's not the truth. Throughout Scripture, we see there is great hope through Jesus Christ. So the cycle of apostasy, the carousel of compromise, we'll see it time and time again through Judges. But let's not forget, every time we look at a story, that there is one coming who is the one who will stop the cycle forever, who is Jesus Christ. With that, let us close in prayer. Lord, thank you for the reminder from your word, the book of Judges, that God, we can go astray so far and we can spiral downward so quickly and yet, Lord, your grace is always there that if we will just come to you in repentance and ask you for your help, that you will give us grace and mercy in our time of need. Lord, that you will shower us with your blessings if we will simply just trust in you completely and not be unfaithful to you. 
Lord, if we have forgotten you and if we have forgotten what you've done, Lord, help us to see it clearly each and every day. Help us to remember it in our hearts, not just in our minds. Lord, if there's any of us here today being unfaithful and walking in a direction that is away from you and we have abandoned you for other gods, whatever that might look like, Lord, make that clear to us and help us to repent and help us to humble ourselves so that we can be with you and you will exalt us. And finally, Lord, thank you. We praise you that there is hope in Jesus, hope and deliverance that will never end, the deliverance that will solve everything, all our sins, all our problems comes through Jesus Christ. Help us remember that. Help us live for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. is it bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth since you learned it from Epaphras our beloved fellow servant he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit and so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. That's the hope we have that he has given us through his grace. Now, normally I would dismiss you guys, but actually I'm going to ask you guys to sit down for a moment. I have a special announcement that somebody needs to make. So if you'd sit down for a second, I know this is weird, but, uh, and I'm going to call John Sadowski up. He's got a special announcement to make. Hello, everybody. So in case you don't know, I am John. Hello. <laughs> um, so uh, I first off, I have two things. I just wanted to thank everybody that participated with VBS. Um, it was a huge success. Um, the family camaraderie that we have here is absolutely amazing, and I'm so excited to be a part of it. Um, you guys have been an absolute blessing to me, um, especially being away from home, coming here and having such a great family. Um, and the second thing that I have for you, um, as part of my family, um, I want you to be actively involved in my family. Um, so I need your help um, with uh, something very, very simple. And that is, McKenna, would you please marry me? That's it, you can go home now. (laughs) 